0: Welcome back to the penultimate episode of Gaining Momentum of Season 2. Meg, Lee, it's been a week. How are you?
1: I'm okay. I think I'm feeling quite heavy and sitting with, you know, the events of uh, the last week or so. uh, Primarily the discovery of the 215 children.
0: Indigenous children. Indigenous
1: children, yes, that were buried at. Kamloops, also known as. Uh, formerly the Kamloops residential school.
0: Mm -hmm. I hope every Canadian and everybody who has heard this is sitting with this and anyone who doesn't know about residential schools, Mm -hmm. there's unfortunately, well, there is, and there isn't a wealth of information because a lot has been covered up,
1: Mm -hmm. but it's a
0: very important part of Canada's, I'm going to say like quote unquote history, because Mm -hmm. these like residential schools were still going when we were teenagers.
1: Yeah. It's hard to even call it history at this point, especially because the implications of these institutions are still very felt and very real.
0: Yes, it like the implications are very present, very current and will continue to be.
1: Totally. I think that's a notable piece piece of the discussion right now is that even the way that like the government, you know, maybe like as in the federal government um, will refer to these spaces as like part of our history And that's just simply like disingenuous. They're not part of our history. They're part of our present. Yep. And they will continue to be part of our future. And it's up to us to figure out and demand that the way that they are part of our future looks different from how it's looked up until this point.
0: Yeah. Children deserve better. All of the indigenous people in this beautiful country that we are allowed to be on Mm -hmm. deserve better. And it's just sort of... Like we learn a little bit about it in school or I did, but we don't talk about it widely and we treat it like a history lesson Mm -hmm. instead of a present day discussion that we should be having and the greater implications of the systemic racism that Mm -hmm. this country is built on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you just nailed it. You know, it links to lots of other conversations around systemic racism that we've had on this podcast where we have to get uncomfortable and look at these things if we are the anti-racist forward looking people that we believe ourselves to be, but it's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable and it, it requires us to like unpack what does it mean about so many other things? Right. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that requires us to do some self-exploration about our own position, our own privilege, all of those pieces that can sometimes cause discomfort. Um, And also this is despicable and it's horrific and it's really, really, really hard to look
0: at. And I'm, I think it's, unfortunately going to be just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are going to have more discoveries like this, unfortunately. And this conversation that we're having is going to be continued to be had with each new discovery. And it's just, Mm -hmm. my heart hurts Mm -hmm. and I'm so sorry to the indigenous community, how we keep letting each and every one of you down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sorry feels even like not enough, you know, Oh no. When we look at how yeah, just even the way in which we have almost gaslit also entire yeah. cultures of people around like what has happened and mm-hmm. what is and what is happening yes. also presently even when we look at like incarceration rates and yes. the child welfare system. Yes. You know, those are the healthcare. Continu- healthcare, yes, big time. I mean, we've been having that public conversation at least a little bit more straightforward in the last year or so. Yeah, since the Joyce
0: Echequan video yeah. was released where she was advocating for herself because the healthcare professionals who were supposed to be helping her were harming her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's one story of uh, one that obviously we, we want to look at and give lots of time and attention and respect toward, but like one of many, right? Yes. Experiences that build a culture of systemic racism and sy- systemic ignorance. Yes. I've noticed like just because of the stomach turning nature, it's all stomach turning, but like, you know, this, this, this situation, particularly you aren't, you, you aren't human if this doesn't s- turn your stomach. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the hope that lives in that is that the, those who maybe don't always pay attention to some of these conversations, particularly around, and I, and I want to be careful about using the term reconciliation, because it's not a preferred term for a lot mm-hmm. of
0: Indigenous communities. Um, yeah, Chawin brought that up too, right? Because mm-hmm. as an Indigenous person, she said she herself has nothing to reconcile.
1: Not at all. Yeah, exactly. I guess like maybe the better word is that Canada, the, the state, finds a pathway toward um, their own accountability and justice
0: and not letting history repeat itself and not letting what we are doing in the present be the future
1: yeah absolutely so I think everyone's really sitting with that and anyone who's a parent um, it's visceral the way it feels to think about Mm -hmm. the way it feels to think about what this meant for families somebody communities
0: taking your child from you and then discarding them and treating them as less than human and that's the thing too, as a parent, it's hard, but it's like as a human being, mm-hmm. it should be hard Absolutely. as a human being, this should be, you shouldn't be able to look at this and just continue on. You should have to sit in this moment and to just feel the heaviness and feel the mm-hmm. horror and, mm-hmm. and get to work. Yeah, like you put absolutely. that in an Instagram post, like feel it, sit in the hard and then get to work because mm-hmm. this is just, it's too much. And it needs, we need to do something. We can't just keep Mm -hmm. letting this be the story over and over again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, like, I think this is like the, this is the start of a large, a broader revelation in the like network of residential schools in this country. This isn't the only place this happened. Now we, you know, like with, with how this has moved forward, I think we will see sort of a cascade of other communities and, um, you know, taking, taking on similar projects and processes of bringing those kids home in, mm-hmm. a, in, in a way that is meaningful and respects their souls. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's going to, f- it's going to continue to force that reckoning. This is not, this isn't it, right? No. This is, and, and the thing is, is that we know that these atrocities happened. We know that like when yes. we listen to communities and communities have a deep knowing about what they know happened yeah. to their own people. And they've been articulating that for decades. It's like, we knew, we knew it was there, but like to really, really like know that in like the intimate details of what's there is it's it's really something to reckon with.
0: Yeah. So I encourage everybody who is listening right now to do your research, to learn more, Mm -hmm, to listen, to learn. And if you're going to be looking on social media, Mm -hmm. I implore you to find accounts run by people who are Indigenous. Yes. And listen and learn from Indigenous people and then donate. Donate to Indigenous organizations, donate Mm -hmm. to residential school survivors
1: Yes, the Residential School Survivor Society is a great place to start. They do a lot of really important work around supporting survivors and providing uh, meaningful, culturally appropriate opportunities for healing as well. Uh, so there's maybe what we'll do is we'll also post some stuff up on the gram around yeah. um, other options um, to put your resources. But we want to see your resources and we want to see your time and your energy. So it's about how keeping those conversations going, doing the work, like you just said, and being a squeaky wheel with your elected officials, you know, we have to demand that Canada is
0: accountable for what is happening here. And from one instance of systemic racism to another, Mm -hmm. today's episode is about anti-Asian hate Mm -hmm. and the increase that has been occurring since the beginning of the pandemic. And this feels like a heavy intro because normally, you know, we're a little more jokey, a little Mm -hmm. more pop culture heavy, but you know what? this is not a laughing matter. I don't mm-hmm. really have any jokes. I don't have anything to lighten the mood and I'm okay with that.
1: I'm okay with that too. And I think like, you know, this, it links, right. Cause we're really looking at um, the impacts of white supremacy on both ends mm-hmm. and the way in which systemic racism impacts folks in an intergenerational way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trauma that that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, brings to people's lives. And I, those are the themes that I think like we, we hear at our podcast and, Hopefully folks that follow us um, can continue to dig into, especially in our parenting journeys, right? How do we grapple with this stuff as parents?
0: Yes. So listen, learn, research, donate, making it simple guys, (laughs) listen, learn, research, donate and do better, do better. And now we have today's conversation with Grace Young and she is talking to us about her experiences as a Filipino Canadian woman raising a child who is half Chinese, half Filipino, 100% Canadian. Welcome! Here we are doing another guest extravaganza uh, today. Today we're welcoming Grace. She is a friend who I first met during those early days of parenting an infant. We attended the same workup class for new parents, but lost touch. Then a few years later, our paths crossed again when, both, when we both became part of the parenting group that Gray, our guest from last Gaining Momentum episode, created. We quickly connected over raising children who are just a few weeks apart in age, and the beauty and challenges in raising children of color in the world that we live in, which is not yet the world that we want for them to grow up in. Grace is the mother of a four-year-old boy who is half Filipino, half Chinese, and 100% Canadian. Grace, thank you for joining us today to talk about race and racism, specifically the staggering rise in anti-Asian hate over the past 14 to 16 months, especially where you live. Welcome.
1: Welcome, Grace.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We're so excited to have you.
0: I mean, I don't even know where to start with this conversation. We've just been bombarded with atrocious image after atrocious video after atrocious image Mm -hmm. of anti-Asian hate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's your heart doing today? Yeah. How are Um, you? My heart is
2: calm and still I've had a lot of time to process in my own way so I feel equipped to have this conversation and I'm very grateful that you have created this beautiful platform for me to use my voice and share a little bit what it's like to live in my shoes so thank you first and foremost. Thank you.
1: Of course. Thank you for being willing to be here and have this conversation with us. Um, We're so grateful that you are sitting in that place and and willing to be here with us.
0: Thank you. I guess my first question for you is, did you grow up surrounded by people who look like you?
2: Absolutely not. I grew up in North Vancouver. And in that time, the high school that I attended was very multicultural. Mm -hmm. But I say that with you know, quotes, because it was very segregated as well. Okay. Um, And so I grew up in elementary school and in high school and even my young adult life, kind of surrounding myself with white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And this all started because my parents immigrated here from the Philippines at a young age. Mm -hmm. And they actually met here. They're both Filipino and they, they met in Canada and because of the harsh racism they faced immigrating from the Philippines to Edmonton, Alberta in the early 70s mm-hmm. my mom grew up with trauma around yeah. racism mm-hmm. and her her life's desire was for my sister and I to grow up in a very insulated assimilated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. life that we would in her hopes assimilate and just be Canadian and be as whitewashed as possible, mm-hmm. while also growing up with a very skewed lesson from my mom saying, you know, stick to white people. They're the ones that once you gain their respect, mm-hmm. they will take you places, you will get better opportunities. Uh-huh. Um, so she definitely didn't speak our native tongue at home. She didn't She didn't teach us Tagalog. She really tried to assimilate us the best Uh, She could, so that obviously Mm -hmm. left an impression at a young age, where I, you know, gravitated towards um, winning the likes of, you know, the white community, and yeah, I was always the only colored person in my social groups as Mm -hmm. a child, as a teenager, definitely as a young adult, um, Mm -hmm. really until I moved to Vancouver, like the city, and worked in, you know, big kitchens. I'm a chef, so Mm -hmm. I know. So. I met so many different people from different backgrounds and that's where I was like, Oh, there is a real, real difference in when I hang out with people that look like me. Mm -hmm. There's this unspoken understanding of, Hey, we've lived the same life. We know how to code switch. We know (laughs) what it is to feel less than and have to overcompensate with properly articulating words and sounding Mm. really educated and Mm -hmm. walking the walk. So yeah, long long story, long answer. I did not grow up with a lot of people that looked like me. Yeah, so that was hard as I grew older, definitely becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. I yeah. totally get that.
0: Mm-hmm. And now as a mom, like our kids are friends. Yes. I will say that. We're they are obsessed friend. with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think they're already growing up around people who look like them and don't look like them. And I think mm-hmm. that's important. So what else are you and your co-parent doing to kind of diversify your son's world? Mm-hmm. So that
2: is that is a, a discipline actually, because when I became a mom, I suffered from postpartum depression, anxiety, and I felt that the only way that I could feel supported and feel confident with my mm-hmm. newborn baby was to surround myself with other new moms. And thankfully I was part of a mom group. Um, I was part of a birthing group and we stayed post-contact. But in that mom group that I tried to start, it was clear to me that where I live, my socioeconomic, you know, status, mm-hmm. I was really attracting and I was really kind of cultivating this mom group. And it was just, again, I was the only colored person. And with the racial injustice climate that we're going through, with me learning to be an anti-racist parent and woman and person,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it, something didn't settle with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things that I would have maybe accepted as a young child and in an a, a young adult, it just didn't sit well with me. And that's when I decided to close down my mom group and really seek out women of color mothers. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it felt weird because I'm like, am I fetishizing women of mm-hmm. color mothers? Like, am mm-hmm. I going of my way to do this? But that is, you know, what I had to do in order to Make a conscious decision and dedication to myself and my son that I was going to make an earnest effort to surround him mm-hmm. and myself with other mothers from different cultures and diff- different color skin.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I did not want him to grow up with that extra pressure that I did, mm-hmm. yeah. that I had to choose just white people.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting that you're talking about like you're using the mom group as the lens on this because we've had other guests who have talked about how mom group settings have been very alienating for them as well on other parts of their identity, you know, intentional like parent group or specifically like those identified mom group spaces. We are finding that there is sort of a default population that accesses those resources or those Mm -hmm. spaces and how do we push back on that and i think what you what it sounds like what you did there was made a really intentional choice about how to move forward in that and noticing it yeah. noticing that representation in that space that's a, that's really important
0: Absolutely. and impressive that you did that thank you and totally. i totally i
2: can't take all the credit in terms of my action to do so i definitely i even changed you know my mental health professionals i mm have always had a white female I like to say a Diane Keaton type uh, (laughs) and I felt that even that I was performative I was I would make sure that I would do my hair do my makeup wear nice clothes show up so I looked like I had it together and I wasn't that kind of Filipino woman who were stereotyped to be Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and so I would even be performative showing up and I noticed I would be censored in how I would react or say certain things because I still wanted that level of credibility Mm -hmm. and I noticed hey I have a choice and when um, definitely the Black Lives Matters movement came about with all of the racial injustice with Black lives and Indigenous lives I thought wow if we have a choice to be conscious about where we buy our soaps from and our clothes Mm -hmm. why would that stop with my professional help So I made a switch and um, yeah, I made sure our family doctor was Asian. I made sure that my counselor and my life coach, I made sure they were women that identified and looked like me and that had a decolonizing lens. Mm -hmm. So I felt supported in feeling rebellious of anti-racist work. Mm -hmm. Totally. I find that mom groups, you know, we're scared, we're nervous. So we tend to go gravitate towards things that we grew up with Mm -hmm. And we don't question it because we're just so in the shit. Mm -hmm.
1: So Mm -hmm.
2: with doing that, and when you're when you're mothering from a very like you know scared place, Mm -hmm. I understand why mothers gravitate towards things that are the norm, Mm -hmm. like socially acceptable. Because the last thing you want to do is make things harder for yourself or your child. Right. Uh, But racial injustice just cannot take a break. We we so we have to contribute. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think there's something really interesting you said, too, about doing the rebellious work, of becoming anti-racist and just the way that that's the lens right now where it's like, you know, if you're intentionally doing these things and cultivating a world for yourself and for your child where he can just grow up just doing him Mm -hmm. and not having to think of all the added layers to it, how that scene is rebellious. And I'm hoping that there are people, more people getting on board with being rebels. then, if that's what it takes, mm-hmm. because Absolutely. I want for that to become the norm. I want for what everybody wants for their child. I want for them to want for other children too. So that Absolutely. it doesn't just stop in their houses. And so I commend you and I appreciate the work that you've done. And I know we've had countless discussions about what it means to show up for each other as women of color too, because we're Mm -hmm. often pitted against each other where like, if you're doing work against anti-Asian hate, there's maybe not space for you to do work against anti-Black hate. You have to pick Mm -hmm. a camp and you can't be allies with each other, which is just bonkers. And also obviously Mm -hmm. uh, a monument to white supremacy.
1: Totally intentional, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's there's such an intentionality in that spirit that is like living in white supremacy, Um, sort of a divide and conquer Perspective. So, um, for sure.
2: So ingrained in how we've been socialized and um, how our parents kind of op- operated from a place of fear and wanting us to assimilate. It's amazing how ingrained those systems and beliefs mm-hmm. have kind of really stuck itself in parts of our brain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, that's why I say to create friendships and play dates with women of color that. Um, I, I, I really say that it is a discipline because it takes a little bit more effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've been very mindful of that and it's turning out really well. Mm -hmm. Cooper has, you know, a quite diverse group of friends. Um, and obviously being moms, your kids, usually at that age, you're kind of choosing their friends. So you, you really need to (laughs) vibe with the mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. So it's kind of a win-win when you find a mom who you're like, hey, like we vibe together. It feels like I can swear and have a a, a glass of wine at the park with you and not. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know, and then the kids get along. You're just you're in heaven. Yeah,
0: Yeah, for sure. Can I loop back to some? Sorry, go ahead, Abby. Oh, I was just going to say the intentionality of that, because I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of intentionally choosing friends from different backgrounds, because like you said, they're worrying about fetishizing it, or they just Mm -hmm. feel self-conscious and they can't get over, they can't get out of their own heads to implement the things that they say that they want. And Mm -hmm. so I really like that you're sharing the intentionality behind this and how like, it doesn't it's it's not weird. I don't look at our friendship and think, oh, Grace is only friends with me because I'm black. But I do think Mm -hmm. like I bring something to Grace's world and to her son's world because I am the same way that you bring something to my world being Filipino in the same way your son brings something to my world and my son's world being half Chinese and half Filipino and how we all Mm -hmm. share this Canadian identity. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: For sure. I was going to loop back to, I'm just like really interested in this idea of in your mom's experience. It sounds like to me that assimilation equals safety in her perspective. And so that makes a lot of sense to me for someone who's a newcomer and who's mm-hmm. like from all the, just everything that you just said, regardless of what maybe those impacts were. But I want to ask you in your own parenting journey, if if assimilation was safety in your mom's perspective, what does safety mean for you? Oh, good one. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> taking it there
2: <laughs> no and you don't have to answer that either that's a oh, complex oh, question I, but listen i am guns blazing right now like i'm ready mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i see the damage that that caused her children which is me, me and my mm-hmm. sister mm-hmm. and and our kids really and i understand that that was a trauma response mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure so i forgive my mom and i understand that we are not the only immigrant family that has experienced assimilation and the harm that that has caused mm-hmm. generations to come.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So for me, safe, safety means everything opposite to that. Mm-hmm. It means unpacking and going backwards in time and trying to cultivate from the purest state before colonization mm-hmm. and going, what are the traditional practices and beliefs and esoteric views from both my co-parents' heritage, which is Chinese, and my heritage, which is Filipino. Mm-hmm. What practices did their did our grandparents practice before and their grandparents practice before colonization? And mm-hmm. really making again, it takes a lot of fucking effort.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Sure does. Finding these groups that I attend that their framework is decolonization, anti-oppression.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And really getting down and deep with what did our people do mm-hmm. before colonization? And it's amazing because a lot of it is intuitive work, a lot of it is celebrating trans people, mm-hmm. knowing that in our culture, trans trans folks were were murdered because they were afraid of the power that they had. Mm-hmm. But when you go back in time, the ancient teachings was when someone were to reveal as trans, they were they were the matriarch they were respected because Mm -hmm. they were that was a a special superpower Mm -hmm. and so understanding from that lens that untainted lens of white supremacy and bringing that forward in my parenting and it looks like inclusion Mm -hmm. race talk Mm -hmm. talking about queer folks talking about people that are disabled talking about as we're going through separation and a divorce personally Mm -hmm. what different family units look like totally and understanding that love is love and that we respect everybody the way we want to be respected. Mm -hmm. So there are so many teaching moments, raising a toddler, now Mm -hmm. a child (laughs) he's like a kid that it's amazing how that can surface and that there is no excuse to not parent anti-racist because Mm -hmm. there are so many, everything is such a metaphor, right? If we teach a child about consent, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: if they have that understanding of course, they're going to think twice about when they hear something that's racist.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: They're going to go, "Oh, that's not consensual." Would I like that if someone treated me like that? We have to raise our children to be critical thinkers and mm-hmm. to to question, to question authority, and to question when they're into and and help them understand what their intuition is. Mm-hmm. Um, they really need that help and guidance. So, yeah, going to these, um, it's called kapwa. Kapwa means community. And I've been going to this group once a month and it's Filipino people around my age. There are some older, younger. It's a really vast, different people from walks of life, but from all across North America. And we tune sure. in, we, we discuss and we unpack. And so that's what safety is to me is to make sure that I have a time at least once a month to sit and get dirty and look within myself and have a community to hold space for me to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love that. And I wonder, in in your doing that, I don't know anything about your relationship with your your mother, or your parents, but like, what what a gift that might be down the road for that person to observe you doing this in a different way. You know, if they if yeah. they felt in their journey that that wasn't available to them, it's just it's just interesting to me. There's something there that um, is like modeling in an interesting way, even in like a 360 sort of.
2: 100%. No, I, think, I think I say that when I'm I'm living an anti-racist life and I'm doing the work to continue that path, I call it rebellious because that's such an interesting point. My mom's very uncomfortable with mm. me sharing things on social media and being so outspoken because she's so used to playing the... Model minority. Yes. Mm, Good word. So she's very uncomfortable because I think she worries that I'm being too radical.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm not even scratching the surface. (laughs) 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 I have seen nothing yet. (laughs) I literally just skimmed over the Coles notes. Like, come on now. Mm -hmm. So we're not there yet in terms of her appreciating or seeing This as growth. She's it makes her very nervous. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I understand that because the myth of the model minority is strong. Like she immigrated at a time where assimilation was the message: keep your head down, be quiet, Mm -hmm. don't make waves. Mm -hmm. And now I think it's really amazing that you're able to break through that myth and to find your voice and to speak out because that's like that's what we talk a lot about. Like we've been talking a lot about recently, and we should have been talking about forever. Like Mm -hmm. the myth of the model minority, where like we weren't speaking about anti-Asian hate because we've taught everybody who's Asian to just keep quiet and push it below the surface and it's Mm -hmm. fine. And it's just, you know, it's okay. It just keep going, keep going. And look what's happened this past year. It's wild. Mm
2: -hmm. Just the
0: level, I believe like where you live in Vancouver, it's like, what up 717% or something insane like that, the yeah. number of attacks on people of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. So Maybe. what are you doing for safety? How do you talk to your child about this, especially over this past year? Because I know you and your co-parent and your child have been the victims of verbal attacks and just people being ugly and vicious.
2: Yeah, and it's, we have, and and it's happening at places that are, in the middle of the day in front Mm -hmm. of people Mm -hmm. so it's it's unsettling that's an interesting question I haven't had an actual conversation with Cooper about anti-Asian hate crimes Mm -hmm. per se but what I have done is I'm extra vigilant Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted I we read him books about color and race Mm -hmm. so he's able to say oh that person has black skin. That person has white skin. That person has Asian skin. So he's, he's at that point where we're able to say, yeah, like we identify color and we know what that looks like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Same as, you know, facial features and hair. And it's more of like a, I think he thinks it's like a fun game. Like, Ooh, like what do <laughs> you Right. So it's more a curiosity rather than honestly, if I say, Oh, um, pick, okay. Which one looks like, like your friend so-and-so and his friend would be white he'll pick a black person so he doesn't understand yet like that's like the defining defining feature feature we're still kind of in that phase which is a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing because he has no fucking idea that
0: (laughs) which is great Mm -hmm. too because you're not colorblind parenting which is harmful oh yeah in like just diversifying his world he's not color isn't the defining characteristic because he's being taught to see it everywhere and when you see something Mm -hmm. everywhere then you don't have to focus on it
2: yeah. No, I, I've been told I don't see color before from past white friends and that has really seared. A whole, mm-hmm. Oh, it just hurts. You just, yeah, that's a different discussion, but I'm extremely vigilant. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Um, We don't go out at night. Um, yeah. we Don't go out at night and we're home by about seven o'clock all the time. Now that it's brighter out here in Vancouver, I, I stretch it sometimes to seven 30 or eight, but mm-hmm. yeah, we used to go on like night walks. We used to like, feel fine to like go to like our neighborhood, you know, bubble tea place. We, we don't even go there. It's about two blocks away because I don't know who we're going to run into. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if anything, I would say, you know, I'm trying to work on my helicopter parenting, but it's very hard in this with the anti-Asian hate crimes that have been happening because it's happened to me at Costco and Cooper was with me
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I just don't want that to happen again. And mm-hmm. so I tried to minimize my exposure out in public with him mm-hmm. and it sucks. Yeah. I hate
1: that for you. Yep. I hate that for you so much. And I'm so sorry. That's been your experience, especially Thank as of you. lately. Yeah.
2: It's, there's no way about it, but it's, it sucks. It's not fair. It no. can make you a really bitter person, mm-hmm. but I choose to just survive currently. And I choose places where we fit in. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I will literally go to, you know, an Asian supermarket to go grocery shopping because at least I feel
0: insulated and safe that we don't stick out. Yeah. You can just go there and get like your produce and not have to get your produce with a side of racism. Yeah. And you know,
2: with that, you know, yes. Oh, I like, it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe you have to do that that in itself is a privilege as an Asian person that I have places to go where I can just like blend in mm-hmm. where I can feel safe and you know I want to take this time to also identify the the lack of allyship that come from the Asian community and we have a lot of fucking work to do because there is a huge anti-blackness um you know mentality
0: mm-hmm. and belief
2: that runs within and you know You even go, when we've taken my son to Hong Kong, right? It's like every model looks Caucasian. Everything that you see, there's like skin whitening creams. It doesn't stop there. It's in the Philippines too. Mm -hmm. It is, you learn at a young age, the whiter you are, the more affluent you are. Mm
0: -hmm. So Mm
2: -hmm. it doesn't stop there. It's a very fine line where I feel I can't help but acknowledge that what I'm feeling and where I'm going, there's still privilege in that. Mm. And I, I'm trying not to do the comparison, but I think it's important in terms of using the privilege that I do have as a woman of color who is, you know, first generation born Canadian, Filipino, who is Asian, who has lighter skin, to really use my voice because I'll be a bit more heard to stand up for Black lives, Indigenous lives. Mm-hmm. It is our responsibility as people, as BIPOC people, to stand together.
0: Yes. Together. It's very important because all of our voices are important and together we're louder, we're stronger. And it's just, it's, it's a numbers game. The more people Mm -hmm. who speak up against this and make anti-Asian hate, anti-Black hate, anti-Indigenous hate, just make Mm -hmm. hate unacceptable. Then that's the currency. That's a game changer. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And white supremacy has a funny way of pitting all of us against each other and Mm -hmm. us being BIPOC people.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: um it's 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 hard, you know. Even, you know, my mom's generation, it you think they'd be a bit more progressive, especially with the lived experience they've they've had with racism.
0: Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of work to do. Well, because we're taught that there's a scarcity mentality. So like if you speak up for someone else, you're taking something away from yourself and you've got to almost hold on to that and not speak out until you really need to do it for yourself. Because yeah. it's like you only have so many cards to play.
2: Hundred percent. Like you have literally an uh, an allowance mm-hmm. you have you have like ten dollars a month and it's like well our people need need it so I'm gonna spend maybe like 9.50 on our fam on our people and then maybe 25 cents to indigenous population and then 25 cents to Black Lives Matter it's not like that it's no it's we have an unlimited amount of of resources to yeah yeah
1: and the and the quicker that you know that becomes a significant awareness that oh wait a minute that mentality is a very intentional process that's born out of white supremacy Mm -hmm. and colonization like you've been saying and like being able to decolonize our minds as we've referred to in the past and think about those through lines I mean it just takes the power out of what that is right? But it's a significant unlearning. And it's just amazing to hear you talk about it in the way that you are, even when your community is experiencing violence and hate. And it's been a very intense time. Um, I just want to commend you for being able to step back and, and recognize, you know, where allyship lives, and both from obviously folks that are not people of color, but also within the BIPOC community.
0: Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned allyship, Meg, because I actually wanted to talk about allyship a bit. Um, What do you want to teach Cooper about race and about allyship, both what he should be able to expect on his behalf from allies Mm -hmm. and what he can do for other people?
2: Wow. So I want Cooper to first and foremost, understand his identity. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I want him to understand and be proud of being half Chinese and half Filipino. Mm -hmm. And with that, we have to teach him the cultures, Mm -hmm. the things that we can celebrate about our cultures, but I also want him to experience what it is to be colored, but to identify as being Canadian Mm -hmm. and not, not having that paradox of I'm not white enough and I'm not Asian enough. Mm -hmm. I want him to really feel proud and feel equal about being half of two cultures. Mm -hmm. And I believe that once he's able to accept and understand the injustice within our own cultures and the, and, and the Asian community, he's then able, he's then going to be able to be more compassionate, empathetic and respectful to other cultures, mm-hmm. and understand that level of, yes, it's great to want equality and love each other and stand up for each other. And it's really important to understand the history of injustice
0: mm-hmm.
2: and understand that, yeah, it's, it's going to be a harder life for your friend who happens to be black or indigenous because they're coming from a world that is not built for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it's really not built for anyone who is, who doesn't, who isn't white. Yeah. And that's the tough part, right? Because like I hear, and I appreciate what you're saying, but I also like the world's not built for your kid right now either. And so I think there's just Mm -hmm. so much dismantling that we need to do. And there's so much unlearning and relearning and just I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Sorry. I'm just sort of thinking as I talk because it's one of those things where like, I feel hopeful listening to you talk, but Mm -hmm. I also feel sad because I always feel sad and disheartened that we have to have Mm -hmm. these conversations over and over. Absolutely. And now it's time for this week's momentum shout out, Meg, what do you have for us?
1: Okay. I wanted to just acknowledge something that I observed uh, over the weekend. So I was with someone whose child is entering middle school in Uh the fall. So it's a big change and a big shift. And we were together on the day that he happened to have his um, middle school orientation So like where you go to the school and you check stuff out. And um, so he had come back from that and we were all sitting together and, you know, you could tell he he had notably mixed feelings about Mm -hmm. how he was feeling about that big change that was coming up. And I wanted to just shout out uh, his mom in this situation because I was really um, impressed with and sort of like, wanted to like internalize the way that she held space for all of those feelings letting him know that it was okay that you know he was feeling any which way about it it's it's totally like normal to like have feelings of excitement and also feelings of anxiety and just like watching him like internalize that message even it almost like seemed to ease whatever you know that anxiety was that he was Uh sitting in um so I just wanted to shout out that mom for doing such an amazing job of holding space for that particularly like angst, angst riddled moment. Yeah. And I want to like, think about that as we approach changes in our own parenting life moving
0: forward. Absolutely. Well played mom.
1: On that note, like I want to talk about the way that white folks need to show up because this is the core component for me anyway when i'm thinking about this in the conversation and you're being so mindful and you're talking about all the ways that you want to ensure that your kid is an ally and understands has like a very specific world view around race and ethnicity and um, white supremacy but what you know it boils back to is how are white people picking up the thread and really doing the work and so i'm thinking about that right now and i'm thinking about allyship from that perspective what's it what's it like for you to talk about race with white people and have you had experiences where folks haven't shown up when you've expected them to? Because you did mention earlier that most of your friends growing up in your circle looked a certain way. And mm-hmm. I was listening to something the other day where um, somebody on a podcast was talking about how within this moment of reckoning around anti-Asian hate, they had a very similar social experience to what you were describing and folks really haven't shown up. So I, we don't
2: have to go there. Let us go there because I have done <laughs> some major healing when I started really educating myself on anti-racist work, I I realized that the people I surrounded myself with from elementary school and high school were not on the same path as I was, and were um, saying harmful things that made me feel really invisible.
0: And um, but it's just jokes; it's okay. I was just being oh, funny. Yeah. But, but, but not you, you. not you. You
2: don't, you don't count, Grace. You don't count. You you know you you're like, you're like a white girl. And it, I felt because of them, they had been my past in life. And I was like, fuck that noise. Mm-hmm. So I did uh very bold things and I kind of, you know, purged my friends. Like I would like the Mary Kondo. Kondo.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was like, thank you for your time. You brought me joy at one point. Now that I'm living an anti-racist life, you do not. And I just, be blocked and be blessed, mm-hmm. um, and I I got a lot of backlash for that,
0: and it was violent and it was harmful, mm-hmm. and um, it and proved took- the point of why you needed to divest yourself of those people in your yeah. life. Yeah, totally right. Yeah,
2: the best, me, the best one for me was like, you're so self-centered. You make everything about race, don't mm-hmm. you know? I'm Dutch, <laughs> and I just. <laughs>
0: Um, so yeah, so I've lost a lot of people. Like, yeah, it's just that's the thing where people like they don't understand the privilege of being able to be like, well, everything's not about race. Why when... are we still here in the yeah. conversation? And that's you're like, I would me. love for everything to not be about race. Do you think Ooh, I want to yeah. sit here every day thinking about how to keep my family safe? Do you think mm-hmm. I want to think about walking down the street? Oh, should I cross the street? Is this person gonna say something to me? Do I mm-hmm. feel safe? Like, I would love for the foremost thought to be governing my mind not to be safety hundred percent. I I find that
2: it's been, I've whittled down my circle. I feel like I have really quality people, but it was Mm -hmm. a real shock to my system because I'm so used to having an abundance of friends. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: But I feel that since, you know, racial injustice has been so in our face, Mm -hmm. um, unless you're sleeping on it, (laughs) I just, I can't tolerate it. And so it's been really hard for me to accept that I had to say goodbye to I'm talking tens of friends, like
1: mm-hmm.
2: in tens, groups of tens. And um, I would say I really have like, yeah, I have like 10 good girlfriends and a majority of them are women of color. And mm-hmm. the very few white women that are in my life have been with me for a while and they're dedicated to doing the work. And we've had these, yeah, really uncomfortable conversations that Abby, I love what you and Megan say on this podcast that, you know, one day this is why we do the work because one day they'll just be conversations.
1: mm mm-hmm.
2: But right now they're really uncomfortable conversations and they're hard. Mm-hmm. And we've had breaks and we've come back together and it's, it's really, it's, it's really fucking inconvenient. Let me just tell yes. you, yeah. <laughs> but very, very necessary. And um, mm-hmm. it's been really hard. And, and I have angry days. I have days where I'm like, Hey, I know that you feel like targeted, but I just can't be around any white people right now. And I just, you might say something that's harmful just because Mm -hmm. You get to live life safe. Mm -hmm. And I'm angry right now because I'm I'm really hurt from the racial aggression that I just experienced yesterday. I'm probably going to need a week to just, you know, repair Mm -hmm. myself back up to Mm -hmm. be resilient enough that if you slip up and say something, it's not going to sting.
0: Yeah. So that's what I think is very hard for people who have not experienced these sort of racial aggressions that it takes time. You lose a piece of yourself every time it happens and you have to build yourself back up. And it's just, I would love to just spend my time rebuilding myself. Like, I don't know, just getting really into mindfulness meditation or like something just for the sheer joy of it and not as a means of survival.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that inability to also recognize that this isn't about you. Like, even if I need to, if I need to say that thing, like what you just articulated there, Grace, this, it is about you, but it's not about you, you know, that inability to depersonalize. And I think like what you've offered, there's quite a gift, to be honest, in terms of like any white folks who are listening, who have folks in their life who are BIPOC and who will, will share in the experiences that you're both talking about here today, you're providing kind of a roadmap, right. In terms of like, this is what we need from people when these experiences happen or when we, you know, are in relationship with somebody who's, um, not a person of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that, you know, there's just such a gift in offering that up to even our listeners about like, okay, that's hard. And that's sometimes hard to take and hard to digest and hard to stomach, but you've provided a, like a roadmap, right? If you want to support somebody in the way in as an ally, in the way that they need to be supported. Here's what it kind of needs to look like. And here's what you need to check at the door.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So thanks for that. That's very generous of you because you shouldn't have to do that.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. There's a part of me that I don't mind sharing that, but there's another part of me that, yeah, feels really resentful that Mm -hmm. I even have to be like, okay, here's the ABCs of a better friend to BIPOC. Your yeah. bipartisan by- friend. Like it's, and there's so many resources out there. Like you could literally Google, like, how to be a better friend to my. <laughs> <I> know, like,
1: <laughs> it could not be easier. It yeah. literally could not be easy. Yeah. Like it's hard work, but it could not be easier to figure out what those steps look like yeah. in the c- cultural moment we're in.
0: And if you're sitting there thinking that it's too hard to do the work, think about what that says. Like, where does that come from? And why are you so scared to do the work? Why are you so scared to? learn about yourself in a way that might make you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it is that easy. Like we all have access to Google. Oh yeah. I mean, my kid could ask Google right now, how to be a better (laughs) friend to this BIPOC community and our Google home would answer. I, in fact, maybe we'll do that after (laughs) and see what happens.
1: I really want to hear what Google Home says about that. What <laughs> kind of response you get back? <laughs> we'll have to follow up in the mini on that particular <laughs> note. But yeah, I think, I think that you've hit on something there, Abby. It's about like what it reveals, right? If we pull that thread as white people who live in white privilege, live, benefit, breathe white privilege every single day and every single interaction, if we start pulling on that thread, what does it reveal about us and what we're willing to do? And what, and more importantly, what we're willing to give up.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that also to a much lesser extent is a concern sometimes within the BIPOC community as well, like challenging our Mm -hmm. beliefs about other members of our BIPOC community. Mm -hmm. Because like we said, we've been pitted against each other for so long and we all live in the society where we are raised on the same stereotypes and the same misconceptions and the same misinformation,
1: Inter- and then internalized racism, right? Yes. Which is like the word that keeps reverberating through my mind when, when you're talking about that particular piece, um, which like from an empathy place, it's like, yeah, of course, like if you're hearing certain messaging and you're internalizing it your whole life, that's, it's going to be there, but it's very complex and it does require also pulling the thread.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes me think, I was going to say of that Nicole Kidman show, The Undoing, but I pro- I'm guessing that's probably not what it was about. Just to- yeah. <laughs> It's not about an anti-racism journey <laughs> in it unpacking white that's a supremacy great
1: title for it. <laughs> Cause if it were, I would watch it.
2: <laughs> I'm here for that. <laughs> I'm throwing that pop culture.
0: Of course. Yeah. That's just how my brain it's our brand
2: grace. It's our brand.
0: <laughs> I only say like every fifth pop culture reference that comes to mind. The rest I like, just, I hold them back.
2: <laughs> yeah. I like, Listen to you guys in the car. And then I'm like, yeah, this, this is some serious conversation. And then I'm like, and then it just wraps. And then all of a sudden I'm laughing. It's like new kids on the block. What a good to be alive. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. We are all complex beings, okay? We can hold both ends of these yes. parts of
0: us. <laughs> I can know the back catalogue to unvogue and at the same time <laughs> want my child to have more friends from different cultures and races than him. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I think like the one thing I, I would be remiss to not chat with you about about before we leave today is what do you wish that white parents understood more about the experience of being an Asian parent, raising an Asian child in your own experience. And and what do you wish that folks would be talking about with their own kids in order to take away some of that marginalized experience?
2: That Asian people do not carry COVID.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
2: Because I kid you not in the neighborhood that I am in, I'd say the ratio is, you know, mostly white people, older Um, And some new parents and then Asian people as well. But you can't help but notice that, you know, most of the Asian people walking around are trying to, you know, move, walking on the grass so that, you know, the like white people can walk on the sidewalk Mm -hmm. and then putting their masks on while, you know, a large population of the white community in this area, just walking with no masks on. Mm -hmm. Like, but if you don't have a mask on and you're an Asian person, you get looked it, and that's the thing about, it's, that is the the difficult thing about racism is it's, they're not, hey, you're Asian, please put a mask on. I think you're carrying the COVID virus. It's, mm-hmm. it's a look, it's a feeling.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you as an Asian woman or person, you just know what that look was. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would love for white folks to... Speak with their children about where COVID started, how it started, and the precautions that different countries took place. And understand the science behind uh, these facts instead of saying, oh, yeah, it's, it's the China virus. And, and not only that, it's so interesting because it doesn't matter if you're Filipino, Chinese, Vietnamese. It's like mm-hmm. race, racist people will be like, oh, you're Asian. You're all Chinese. Yeah yeah well so understanding and having you know maybe nights where you're like oh let's learn about asia like my best mom friend who's white they learn about the world and they'll learn little facts about each country and her son knows the difference between you know the philippines and hong kong like and, and china her her child knows the difference between like you know indonesia and vietnam like he understands that so if a four-year-old can learn that there is mm-hmm. no excuse mm-hmm for grown adults to not understand the difference and, and just understanding that, yeah, we do not carry the virus. We're not, we're, we're not the carriers. And, um, also understanding that it's a really, if you have the privilege of being white in this day and age, do your due diligence to make sure that you do whatever you feel is safe in your own mind to make other, other Asian people and BIPOC people feel safe. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm and there's so many ways and again you can google that how to be (laughs) a person and make asian people feel safe or make like there are literally endless amounts of resources out there yeah but i guess just having the conversation first and foremost this is a simple one because you know i've seen in the playground you know white parents and white kids uh, okay come out come over here but if another white kid comes up they can play and i've seen that
0: shit and my son is too young to understand but it mm-hmm. hurts yeah
2: mm-hmm. of course and, like,
0: it, does. it hurts watching it and it also hurts because On some level, you know, at some point they're going to understand it. Maybe they will not understand why, but they are going to understand that they're missing on opportunities to play with children. And especially Mm -hmm. in this day and time when they're so separate and so we have to keep to ourselves so much. Like our kids are just starving for that interaction and they're starving for belonging. They're starving for acceptance. And it's just it's, it's it's heartbreaking as a parent to watch. And it really is so easy to have the conversation that you mentioned about the pandemic. Like we literally, like you couldn't have teed that up better. We literally had this conversation at dinner last night. We were eating and my child said, where did the pandemic come from? Hmm. Why is there a pandemic now? And so we like explain mm-hmm. the difference between like an epidemic and a pandemic and just global travel and how things spread more widely now and how it's just like about contact. And like we said, how like it didn't come from like one person in one place, but like how it's a global thing that we're all in together. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, like, not hard.
0: No, not, not hard. hard.
1: I mean, your child's a genius, so he's able to differentiate <laughs> so so a
0: so pandemic hard. and an epidemic, but-
1: um, it's even like, if that wasn't the level of the conversation, it's just not a difficult discussion no. And it boggles my mind how smart people seemingly just how permeating systemic racism is, right? Like how somebody in one context can be a wise and capable, smart person, and yet hold a belief that is so whacked, that is like so whacked and divorced from science,
0: from everything because exactly. of lines. it aligns, yeah. it
1: aligns with a different part of their worldview, right?
0: Sorry, Which I'm just like quickly gross. looking at as another easy way. There's this podcast that we've plugged a bunch of times on the pod called Brains On. Yeah, and Brains it's a on. science podcast for children. And they have, let's see, there's the what's in the COVID vaccine episode. They've got lots of COVID related yeah. content. Lots of yeah. COVID related, like masks and mouth mist, what we know about the coronavirus now. We've got past, so many present, resources. and future using time to understand this pandemic. Fantastic! So there are tons of episodes and they like, they're just, they're easy to digest that so you can mm-hmm. listen to them with your kids so that even if you don't have the words to say it, let somebody else who does do it. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: It's, it's just, you have to have, you have to be motivated enough. It has to matter enough, right. To it's not, there is not a lack of tools in order to get there. It's about values and where does that live for you as a parent and in your own household. And I would hope that the listeners in our community if they're, if they're showing up here that at very least there's like a desire to try to get there. Absolutely. Um, so hopefully by having you here today, grace and sharing everything that you have so openly and generously, you are helping push people forward
0: in that way, or
1: you're helping people be feel
0: seen as well. Thank you. And we're sorry. You've had the experiences that you've had. Absolutely. And I hope that next time we talk to you, You've had fewer of these experiences until one day you don't have these experiences. And I hope we all keep showing up for each other so that our kids can just go to the park and play.
1: Absolutely.
0: 100%. Thanks for being here, Grace. We've loved talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. And now let's pause for momentum. When, when the color of skin or the shape of an eye make some believe that you deserve to die simply for your existence and daring not to be white the lengths they will go to make racism seem right. When going to your job puts you in harm's way, not because of what you do, just someone else's bad day. If privilege is unchecked, how will the hate ever end? It won't. It's that simple. So let's not pretend. When a moment of self-reflection is not deemed worthy of time intent on protecting fragility, even with lives on the line, it's time to step it up as an ally. There's so much work to be done. Sit in the discomfort, do the labor to get this anti-racism war won.
1: We acknowledge that Gaining Momentum is recorded, produced, and edited on the unceded territory of the Selic Okanagan people
0: and the traditional lands of the Anishinabe, Anina, Oji Cree, Dena, and Dakota peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation.
2: Gaining Momentum. Gaining hosted the Métis act. With artwork by Catherine, Catherine. Cat. Cat. With music by Evan
0: Guy Sartre. Please check our show notes with each episode for more information on Catherine and Evan. Plus how you can stay in touch with us through email, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.